All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. Our guest today is Renan Davilia. Renan is the visionary founder and CEO of OS Ventures, who's dedicated to shaping the future of the manufacturing sector through startups and innovative solutions. With a strong background in operations, SaaS, and venture capital, Renan is an inspiring leader committed to driving sustainability and fostering adaptability in the ever-evolving industrial landscape. So, Renan, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So share with us a little bit about what your background and what led you to doing what you're doing with OS Ventures. Sure. So I'm 36 and I started my career as an operations guy. So I was working in factories. I was a factory director, a supply chain director. I ended up being the assistant director to Richmond CEO, the luxury company. And so I got to see the incredible world that is producing physical things. And I loved it. And then As I was always a geek, I started coding something in my bedroom and I ended up creating a company, a tech company, leaving my job and ending up in San Francisco, selling my startup to Google and having a lot of traction over there. And I discovered the world of tech. And when I sold my company, my shares in the company, I told myself, okay, SF and the world of tech is just so incredible. And I love operations. Let's try to bring those two worlds together. And so as I had a bit of money, I chose the investor slash venture builder path. So what we do at OSS Ventures has been three years and a half is we either create or invest in startups, technological startups that are exclusively helping the physical world. So operations, retail, those kind of things. And so we've been doing that for three years and a half. We are based in Paris, but really we are all around the world. We created 15 companies. Uh, We are currently live in a little over 1,000 factories all over the world. And 350 people are working for all those awesome tech solutions for manufacturing world. So you started off by saying that you were 36 years old. And I know that in manufacturing, changing the conversation to attract younger people to it. What was it originally that made you look at manufacturing as an option and something that you became so passionate about? It's actually a funny story. I come from a background where nobody knows what even a company is. And I was good at math, so I did math. And then I opened Google and I put company most well-known for being good at doing business. And the number one result was McKinsey & Company. So I applied to McKinsey & Company, not even knowing what it was. And I ended up being recruited over there. I'm really grateful because they taught me a lot about business and everything. And my first day, they told us to choose orientations. 
And I ended up choosing operations because it sounded cool and I wanted to do things with the physical world. I did not know what a factory was. I was just a fresh graduate knowing nothing. <laughs> and I learned my job over there. And the first time I went to a factory and I saw that incredibly complex web of people working and incredible speed changing matter and I said okay this is the dream this is where I want to work for a lot of time because when you're a geek like me and you like systems and you're interested in those kind of things it's basically paradise to me the two most interesting things that you can think of and that you can work on are either a tech company or a factory because those two systems are incredibly complex and beautiful and interesting well, and it's nice to see with such an emphasis on tech, and I know we're going to be talking about AI and all of the new things that are coming into manufacturing, but just to really be able to marry those two worlds, <laughs> because again, it's changing that conversation to find people who are so passionate about the physical world and the intricacies that go on with that. So in your life, how do you see the future of manufacturing evolving, particularly when you're looking at integrating new technologies and increasing automation in factories? Yeah. It's, it's actually very interesting to see. I think manufacturing is just the result of two basic forces. First is what do people want and what does a society want? And the second is, which technologies are available? And to those two questions, I answer very simply, people want a different social model. People do not want their product to be made by slaves in Bangladesh or China anymore. So that has changed. And people would like to live on a livable planet. So people want things that are local, that are more respectful of the environment, energy prices are high and everything. So that's the forces. And then what is new in technology? What is new in technology is that the steam engine and the electrical power automated everything that is manual and moving bits around. And now with computers, and AI, we will automate everything that is repetitive and intellectual. And so what I think is going to happen is that our production model, our factories, are going to be really different. They're going to be either more local, more green, more respectful of the workers, and more automated. So that's a big part of what operations are going to be. And there are going to be also new infrastructures, such as gigafactories, such as extremely big infrastructure models with billions and billions of capital. It's going to be taking all over manufacturing. And so let me take an, like two examples. When I was in California, I went to visit Tesla Fremont. In Tesla Fremont, you have nerds like younger than me, running around wearing T-shirts and programming machines with their Macintosh laptop. That is the future. <laughs> Another 
glimpse of the future of manufacturing operations is actually Petit Bateau, which is a clothing company. They stopped sourcing in China. And what they do is they you pay as a customer, you pay every month and you get clothes for your baby. And when your baby has grown, you give back the clothes and they give you clothes for the right size. And so what they do is they repair all kinds of clothes and it is very automated. It is very different and they don't really use materials anymore. They just repair. And so it's very different as a system, but it's very green and it's very profitable. Wow. I never even heard of that. And we're going to talk a lot about startups and helping them scale. But if you have a legacy manufacturing plant that is doing things and all of this, you're basically speaking a foreign language to them. What do you mean mail ordering clothes and repairing them and walking around in t-shirts and and programming machines? Is it something, is there hope for legacy manufacturers or is it best to just start with a clean slate and have a startup? To me, yes, there is hope. And I, I really like to take an example, a very simple one. 30, 40 years ago, a little Japanese car company named Toyota, they invented a new way of organizing factories. They invented Lean. And it was radically different from everything everyone was doing at the time. Radically different. But it was 20 to 30 points better. And so everybody started doing Lean. And when you look at a high-level picture of what happened, it took 20 years. 25% of all the factories died because they were not competitive and not able to transform themselves to do Lean. But 75% made it on the other end. And with varying degrees of success, you cannot go to a factory that has not a continuous improvement arm and they do things and they do daily meetings. So I think it's going to be the same with tech. Tesla Fremont is the new Toyota. So that's the new blueprint. But there are 20 years in the future. And so there is, to, there is going to be a catch-up movement. It's going to take time. Some companies are going to die, but some are going to make it. And it's going to take time, not because of the tech, but because of the people in the future. Such a good point of just realizing that, it, that everything is changing. And to look at asking questions that you may have never had to ask yourself before, because business is changing. And like you said, there's going to be a certain percentage of those businesses that if they don't change, they will die. And if they want to keep up that, then just to explore. So when you're talking about your approach to identifying and supporting innovative manufacturing startups, so you have the small company, then how do you help them to scale? Yeah, uh, we have a very particular method of doing that. First, to scale, you need to address a pain point that is widely available. So I have a 20-person team. 
Each week, my team visits between three and four factories all over Europe and the US. And they go around and ask people, like, what are your pain points? What needs to be solved? How much money do you have to solve it? Is it really in your top three? And we only work on what we call burning platform, like burning hair issues. Nice to have are not candidates. So that's the first part of the answer. Second part of the answer is we don't invest in startup and we don't create startups where implementation time is more than two weeks per factory. This rules out 90% of the startups that we are seeing. Of course, you can create a company with six months or 12 months implementation cycles. Yes, you can you scale that? I don't know. Seems too hard for me. And so we only invest in startups that are doing that. The third thing that we do to help them scale is a very simple thing. We created a platform and that platform shares technical components to be able to instantly connect to the top 15 ERPs in factories. And that platform shares the contacts of all the factories that are innovation friendly in Europe and the US. And so when you enter the OSS community as a startup, you get access to roughly 250 different companies accounting for 1,000 factories already deployed on the OSS network. And so by combining those three factors, our startups achieve consistent 300% growth year on year. That's the average in the portfolio. And I think the lesson, one of the lessons that anybody listening to this show can take from you is going around and asking employees about their pain points and acting on the most critical, those burning issues. Because there's so many times that either we think we know what the employees are doing, where they know their job better than we know their job. And when employees see that you're actually listening to them, there's a much better chance that they're going to be engaged and committed and help in the process. So true. So what, and you mentioned this a couple of times as far as the importance of taking care of the planet. So what are some of the key strategies that companies can implement to become more environmentally responsible? So it's actually extremely large <laughs> as a question. I can tell you what I've seen starting to get a lot of traction. It's an ongoing issue. Everybody's speaking about it. We'll see. It's an ongoing development. But what we've seen. First, improving process is improving your footprints on the planet. So a consistent thing that we have seen is that leaders in being positive for the planet are leaders in performance. There is no anti-correlation. That's first. The second thing that we have seen is that focusing on the value that you can bring to your customer and then trying to perform that value in a very lean way in terms of the effort and the materials and the footprint that you have on the planet can actually lead to incredible results. Let me take an example. One of our customers is Michelin, the tire maker. I love it. I love them. I love all my clients. Michelin, 
they have a factory that is producing 40% less number of tires and making 40% more money. And the way they do that is they put a chip in the tire and they sell kilometers or miles for you US people to their clients. And they say, I, this is a price per mile. You only pay for the miles that you do. By doing huh. that, they can start improving the lifetime of the tire. They are actually incentivized to do less and less tires and they'll get more and more money by producing less and less tires. And so their engineers started working not on improving processes to do more tires per hour, but more kilometers per euro, which is totally different because you are not optimizing for the same thing. And so tech can help you optimize for the right thing, which is the value and not the object. And what we see a lot is that shift from optimizing for the object that you are producing, which is sub-efficient. You stop doing that and you optimize for the value you create for your clients. And so you can reduce the items, increase the value, and take more money. Yeah, that really gets into that quality versus quantity conversation. And it's also so you're making fewer tires, so you're going to have less waste because you're getting more kilometers slash miles for each product sold. So what an interesting way of, again, looking at the things that we know is the right thing to do, but when you put dollars behind it, it makes it a little bit easier conversation to have. Of course. Let me take another example. We are working with some of the suppliers of Apple. Apple created a machine. I think the name of the machine is Julia. And what is the machine doing? You can take any iPhone and you put it in the machine. And the machine can take any iPhone apart and change components and put them in little boxes so you can reuse those components for the next generation of iPhones. Their goal for the next generation of iPhone is to have at least 50% of all the value reused in the next phones. When you do that, you reduce the stress on the planet per iPhone and you increase the dollars per iPhone. Wow. And people feel better about buying the iPhones because they know that they are getting products that are 50% recycled material. So they're having less of a negative impact on the planet. Precisely. And uh, for the listeners, if you want to put on YouTube, you put on YouTube Apple machine iPhones and you'll get a video of the machine. It's actually incredible. Wow. So we spoke about a little bit, but what do you think as far as artificial intelligence and machine learning as far as the future of manufacturing? And if you're not already there, how can companies prepare for these advancements in both? So I think artificial intelligence is both overhyped and underhyped. I think we are overhyping what it will do at a very short term and underhyping what it will do five to 10 years from now. Mm. So five to 10 years from now, 
my personal belief, and I'm a former artificial intelligence researcher, I think maybe 30 to 40% of all the intellectual jobs that we are doing will be automated by AI. If it's intellectual and it's repetitive, it can be automated. That will happen. And so, for example, in manufacturing, the activity of designing new parts, there is already a lot of generative AI do, uh, over there. The activity of putting a new program in a robot, it's very repetitive. And so there is already, there is a Stanford startup that is, that is coming from, you just type a sentence, take the red thing, do a quarter rotation and put it in the box and the robot does it. Wow. So this is going to happen for sure. And it will take time. And you ask the question as a manufacturer, what can I do for it? In the artificial intelligence age, your edge is both your data and your ability to implement fast the new technologies. On those two fronts, manufacturers are historically bad. 70% uh, of all the data in ERPs and systems is not usable for artificial intelligence because of the data structure, because the data is bad, because they are missing data. So as a manufacturer, just having good data hygiene and having some nerds and data scientists is a very good first step. And then the second, when you look at Tesla or SpaceX or BYD, be your dream, is the number one car, electric car manufacturer in the world. It's a Chinese company. They have data scientists and they change their production process every three or six months. Having agility actually helps you as a manufacturer use the new technologies. Because if you change your process every six years, then at best, you'll be three years outdated. Mm. When technology pace of change goes from five to 10 years to one to two years, your frequency of changing your processes has to go down. Like you have to be more agile. And this is something that manufacturers have historically been bad at. Let me take SpaceX as an example. SpaceX is launching a new rocket every three to four months. And each rocket is a new version building upon the learnings of the last rocket. Today, no space company was able to have that path. The best space company's path was one to two years between each launch. They are bringing that down to three to four months. Mm. The versioning of uh, the BYD cars are one every six months. And so increasing the pace of change to be able to embed those learnings and those new technologies is absolutely essential to surviving that next normal. Wow. So that is certainly one of the significant challenges that are facing manufacturing today. So what would you say would be other significant challenges that manufacturers are dealing with? And how do you think startups can help address these issues? Number one is talent, for sure. Like number one. If you look at another vertical, another market, retail, Retail, when Amazon came, they were really bad at internet. They were really bad at marketplaces. They were really bad at that, all that new stuff. And so there was a first wave where they said, ah, no, nah, it's nah, not going to happen. Denial. 
manufacturers, a lot of manufacturers are in denial right now. But in retail, after that, Amazon became dominant. And when Amazon became dominant, they morphed and they had to hire talent from startups, from the tech world, from those new companies to increase the pace of change, change the culture, change the systems. And so in manufacturing today, for example, Decathlon, which is an awesome sportswear brand, their new CEO comes from Google. It's, wow. a, it's a freaking manufacturing textile company. <laughs> CEO is from Google. <laughs> right. And so that new layer of talent bringing a whole new set of culture, technology, processes, pace is going to change the world of manufacturing. But the challenge is bringing them on board, retaining them, giving them the keys to change the culture. But that's going to happen. Right. So out of all of this, as we start to get to the end of our time together, what would you say would be your best tip to a manufacturer listening today? And let's say that they are not necessarily a startup, but want to make some of these changes. What would you advise? A very simple thing. Get your hands dirty in one big issue that you have at your factory. And be open and say, okay, what if I could solve this with tech? And start small, have big ambitions, and scale fast for that problem. And then do another, and then do another, and then do another. And exponential change comes from rapid scaling of really good solutions that are local, gone global. And how do you work with your clients? Like how would somebody listening today know that maybe they should schedule a conversation with you? How can you help? Sure. Two things that we do. First thing is if any manufacturer in the world has an issue or something they want to talk about, they can book a call with someone from my team and they will say either... Look, we have in our database 100 manufacturers like you, and they all had the same issue. And here is how they dealt with the thing. That's the first type of answer. The second type of answer is, look, we have more than thousands of conversations. This is the first time we hear about that. That is your project. And the third type of answer is, that is very interesting. We've been seeing that in a lot of factories. And we want to launch a startup or try a startup with you. And do you want to work with us? And that's free because our business is identifying the right pain points. That's the first thing that we can do. The second thing that we can do is if a CEO or CO wants to have a conversation with someone from the team more open, we can fly fly someone to your factory, look at the factory for one day and say, According to our more than 1,000 factory benchmark database, here is all the things that you can that you could do. What do you think? So yeah, those are the two things. Okay. And if somebody did want to have a conversation with you, what's the best way to reach you? Websites, for sure. Big contact us button. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I will put that in the show notes too. Thank you so much. So. 
All right, Brennan, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. It was a blast. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.